0: Thought you were going to tell me, didn't you, John? <laughs> all right. Good testimonies. Tremaine was after he got saved. He in, eventually got put in the prison where I speak down in Clifton, and he was a real testimony down there. He I called him my assistant pastor. They all thought that was amusing. But uh, while he was there, I think what about five or six years? We were there together, something like that. I called him my assistant pastor, and he uh, often did a lot of the preaching and uh, was inspirational to the guys. One of them told me just about two months ago, uh, Tremaine fills in for me when I can't be there. He said, we love it when Tremaine's here, he chases the devil away. (laughs) Uh, So, we appreciate that. Get your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It is amusing, though, to see Tremaine try to speak with a pulpit that won't move around. His second calling is dancing with a pulpit. <laughs> he was going to be on Dancing with the Stars, but they said they couldn't bring the pulpit. So he had, to, he had to drop it. All right, Luke 16, verse 19. Now, some people say that this story of the rich man and Lazarus is just a parable. Now, why just a parable? Because they don't want it to be real. They want it to be a parable representing something other than what it says. The rich man died, was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. And so I ask you, if it's a parable, and it's designed to communicate a truth, what is the truth it communicates? The story is of two men. One dies... And immediately goes to hell where he's conscious and suffering. The other dies and immediately goes to paradise where he's conscious and he's blessed. And the one who goes to hell begs for mercy because he's in the flames and he's tormented. And he wants a drop of water on his tongue. And a drop of water is denied him and he begs for someone to go back and tell his five brothers... That they might repent lest they come to this place of torment. So I ask you, if this is a parable, what does it illustrate? What is more horrible that he had to give a parable to point it out? Now I know that it's not a parable. I know for several reasons. Number one, he used names, proper names. He told us the very name of the person who went to paradise, Lazarus. Now, as I do when I print a bad letter, he didn't include the name of the man who went to hell. That had been rather rude with all the family left behind. So he just said a certain rich man. But he's very clear about Lazarus. And then again, it's not a parable because it uses realities like Abraham's bosom. That's not figurative. That's a real place. It speaks of the pit. That's a real place. Spoken of many, many times in the scripture. It speaks of the flames. That's real. Spoken of many, many times in the scripture and confirmed by Jesus. So all of the props in this are real things, real places, real events. And the people are real. Now look at it. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. In other words, he wore the latest designer jeans and shoes and clothes, and was well thought of because of the way he dressed, and the way he ate. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which laid at his gate full of sores. Lazarus became a beggar for reasons we don't know, and he became diseased, and so he apparently couldn't walk, therefore he was lying at the gate. And he begged for his food. Now, the rich man was not altogether heartless because it says, Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, if Lazarus had never received any crumbs from the rich man's table, he wouldn't have stayed at that gate. He stayed at that gate because he did get crumbs from the rich man's table. Because some servant came out. The rich man may have said to him when he got through with, His meal, he said, clean the table off and take it to that old beggar that laid outside the gate. And they would go out there and instead of feeding the dogs, they'd throw it out and feed it to Lazarus. And so Lazarus knew what it was like to fall over on his side and pick up the small crumbs and place them into his mouth to eat. Now, this rich man was well known in the community, no doubt, and respected Lazarus was ignored. He was a meaningless person. It came to pass that the beggar died. And was what? Carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. So there were angels watching over this poor beggar. So that when he finally breathed his last breath. They bent down, scooped up his soul. And carried his soul off into the presence of father Abraham. A place called paradise. Paradise we all long for. Paradise is a place where the fruit is always ripe and you don't have to pull the weeds. Paradise is a place where the sun is perfect, never too hot and never too cold. Paradise is a place where you have all you want to eat, where there is rest and peace and no war and no violence and no temptation. Paradise is a heavenly condition. And so Lazarus was immediately taken into paradise well must have been a real trip for the rich man then huh it says and the rich man also died probably about the same time and was buried I can conceive of his burial there would have been many many wealthy notable people there at the burial of this rich man there would have been great fanfare lots of flowers a great hearse to carry him to his place of burial there had have been a large tombstone or a monument or maybe a cave carved out. there had have been several days of weeping and, and feasting and there had have been mourners who were hired. Paid money to come and cry when no one else was crying. So any visitors would know that he was a very loved and missed man. We're not told how the rich man died, but he probably died like most rich men. He probably died from some disease, gout, heart disease or something that he had. He probably was fat. He probably lay in his bed as the physicians came to attend him and as he made out his last papers, his will, and his sons and daughters fought over what he had or his five brothers gathered around wondering which one would inherit his great wealth. And finally he expired his last breath. He he exhaled and that was it. The big body lay there dead. Those who were trained came in and took over and prepared him for burial. Lazarus would have been quite different. They'd have found the dogs out there licking the last of his sores away, maybe beginning to feed on his flesh. They'd have had a city cart come out. Along with a couple of dead cows, two dead sheep and a pony, they'd have picked up the body and thrown it in the cart. No ceremony, nothing else. No one there to attend to it. The body would have been carried out to a place where strangers were buried or dumped or burnt. The body would have been dumped out with other useless flesh. And there it would rot or maybe be covered up or maybe be allowed for the buzzards to feed on it. So these two men died probably about the same time. One of them was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the other found himself in hell in torment. We read. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He sees Abraham off in a distance. There's a great gulf fixed. And he sees this beggar. Obviously he looked into the face of this beggar at times. Probably he talked to him at times. Maybe the beggar had been able to get in his face to beg for food several times. But at a great distance, he recognized this beggar. In other words, he still had his facial expressions. Now, where was the body of the rich man? The Bible said he was buried, but in hell he lifted up his eyes. So his body was in the grave. No doubt the beggar's body was in the grave. But there was still another body that had eyes and ears And dimension that one could see. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We have two bodies, just like a football. If you take the leather skin off the outside of a football and reveal the bladder with the air, it's still the same shape. It still looks like a football with a different covering over it. And so it is, your soul inside is you. The outer body covers it. And when the body goes to the grave, the soul goes to be present with God. That soul, like God, has eyes. God has eyes to see. It has ears to hear. It smells. It touches. It feels. It can be embraced. That body is a real body. It's called a spiritual body. In other words, it's a ghost. It's a ghost so much so that when Jesus died and came back, he's spoken of as the Holy Ghost. A ghost that appears who's holy. And he lifted up his eyes being in torment, and he seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. So this rich man recognizes Abraham and appeals For him to have mercy. Do you realize this man had never asked God for mercy? He'd never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but now he's praying to dead saints. Listen, if you pray to dead saints for your salvation, you'll never get it. Because they can't deliver it. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Obviously, the rich man felt like Lazarus owed him something. He felt like since he'd done something for Lazarus, Lazarus should be willing to do it for him. I think that there was some goodwill between he and Lazarus. If I had found a man that would supply me with crumbs every day and I had no other way of eating, I'd be thankful for it. And since Lazarus chose that spot, apparently the rich man had fed him and they knew each other and he felt that Lazarus would certainly be willing. enough. he'd mistreated Lazarus, he wouldn't have felt that way. If he'd have mistreated Lazarus, he wouldn't have asked for Lazarus to bring it. He felt like he had some pull there with Lazarus. So this was not an evil man in all ways. He's a man that felt he'd earned the respect of a beggar. Dipped the tip of his finger in water. He wasn't asking for much. He dare not ask for much. This rich man didn't feel worthy to ask for much. He didn't ask for a glass of iced tea with lemon. He didn't ask for a whole jug or a five-gallon bucket of water. He said, please, just one drop of water on my tongue is all I want. What kind of state would one have to get in to where one drop of water would feel like such a blessing? To where one drop of water on a dry, parched tongue would feel like a wonderful gift. This man is begging for it. I am tormented in this flame. Spoken of as flame. The book of Isaiah speaks of hell being down and it accessed by a pit. It speaks of the damned being in the sides of the pit. If you could picture a sphere with a shaft running all the way through it. The earth with a shaft running all the way through it. And in the middle of the earth, a solid molten mass of burning inferno. Enter the hole from either side. The devil's triangle or the Bermuda Triangle or wherever it is. And go down through the shaft a little ways, maybe 10,000 feet. And there where there's still a crust... You'll find a hollowed out cavern, large, maybe several miles across. And it's artificially lit and it's air conditioned. On the exact opposite side of the pit are holes, caves, caverns stuck in the sides, charred caverns with dead souls placed up in there waiting the resurrection of the damned. The Bible speaks of the resurrection of the damned when they will be raised, stand before God, be judged, and then cast back in the bottomless pit. But this time past the graves in the side all the way down to the lake of fire, which is in the middle, which we're told is outer darkness and a bottomless pit. The pit would be bottomless because gravity would pull any object to the center and there it would rotate with the fluctuation of the mantle and never hit bottom. So it's a pit with no bottom. It's a lake with sides and no bottom and no surface. Just a bottom. And it's outer darkness because there's no oxygen. So it's a burning, dark place that will last for eternity from which there is no escape. The rich man had not yet gone that deep. Like Tremaine being placed in the city jail waiting for state pen. There's a time before the trial takes place. He said the city jail is far worse than the state pen. And so God has a city jail. A place where those who are guilty and charged but not yet sentenced wait for their day in court, Lazarus was waiting for his day in court. The rich man was waiting for his day in court. But you see, the judge knew that one was guilty and the other was innocent. And so God had an elite, an elite jailhouse for those He knew He was innocent. He had a system by which they could wait for their judgment without suffering. And so though they were in hell, they were not in suffering. So Lazarus was with Abraham and all the Old Testament saints who had formerly died and couldn't go to heaven because there's no blood to cover their sins. But they weren't going to hell because God knew their name was written in the book of life. And so God had placed them in paradise overseen by Father Abraham. And there they were dining. There they were rejoicing. There they were celebrating. And waiting for the blood to be shed. That would redeem them from this paradise. And take them into heaven itself. I'm going to show you other verses of scripture that support this. So I'm not making it up. Plenty of verses of scripture on it. And it says. And Abraham said Son. Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Jesus is speaking this parable against religious, devout, wealthy Pharisees and scribes, religious leaders who were well fed and well clothed, and well educated, and well mannered. And so he's speaking it to them. They were even benevolent in taking care of people like Lazarus. So he's throwing it at them that just because you have this station in life, that doesn't mean you're going to avoid damnation in eternity. And just because you have a low station in this life, a very poor man, doesn't mean that you're consigned to hell. And besides all this, Abraham said, listen to this one. Between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. Like the bridge over Lake Pontchartrain, which one night a barge hit it. The 28 mile long bridge over Lake Pontchartrain, New Orleans. And a barge hit one of the piers and knocked out a long section of the bridge which fell into the water. And with it being dark, no lights out there, a narrow two lane highway going over that great body of Salt water. Cars, one by one, would come racing down that road, come to that pitch dark end. Notice, no doubt, just before they went off, notice that the railings were not there. No reflection off the roadway. And then the car plunged off into the water. And one after the other, people fell into the water. The impact killed many of them. Those that didn't sunk to the bottom and they drowned in their cars. One man was able to get out of his car and climb back up on the other side of the bridge that was still attached. And there he began to wave his hands at cars coming by. Cars saw him. Several of them speeded up, whipped around him and plunged off into the water below. Finally, he was able to stop a car and prevent further tragedy from taking place. Listen. For everyone here in this room, the road is out. The bridge is gone. And there's hell waiting. There's certain destruction and doom. Apparently Lazarus knew that and made preparation for his soul. But the rich man, suspecting it might be true, had put it off and said another day. And when he saw a preacher waving his hand or his Bible and saying repent, he stared around him as a nutcase. And he plunged off into the pit of hell. Now he's begging for mercy. Not for his salvation. He knows it's too late. He knows enough Bible to know if he's in hell. He's not getting out. But he thought maybe a little mercy from one of the dead departed saints would be served. Maybe one drop of water for his tongue. Abraham said, no, there's a great gulf. A chasm. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot... I'm sure that every single soul in paradise, if they'd have been allowed to, would have gotten up whatever water or fruit juice that they could get and would have crossed over to the other side to serve any one of those damned souls. Any one of those would have walked a rope, walked a narrow board, done what they could to get relief to those on the other side. But Abraham said they cannot. Cannot pass from hence to you. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And those of you, Abraham said over there, who'd like to come here. cannot I? Why? Because that gulf opened into the bottomless pit. And there was no way to cross it. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, thou wouldst send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. Suddenly this rich man has confidence in Lazarus. He feels like Lazarus could persuade. Now, the five brothers knew Lazarus. They knew who he was. And the rich man believes that they know that Lazarus is dead. So they'd have been acquainted with that fact. Which gives us further insight into the closeness of this rich family with this beggar lying at the gate. Whom they must have shown benevolence, stopped and talked to and wished a blessing on him from time to time. He said, Thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. You see, he knew that they knew that Lazarus was dead, and if Lazarus made an appearance after death, it would convince his brothers to repent. If they hadn't known Lazarus, it would not have impressed them. He'd just been charlatan. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Boy, that's heavy. In other words, he said, look, they've got a Bible. They've got the book of Psalms, which says, thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. They've got the book of Psalms, which said, God hates all workers of iniquity. He will break their arm behind them. He will bash out their teeth. He will laugh and mock when their calamity cometh. They have the book of Isaiah, which speaks of hell and the bottomless pit and those in the side. They have the prophets. They have Moses, which says, This do and thou shalt live. If you commit adultery, if you lie, if you cheat, if you steal, you'll go to hell. They've got all of that in print. Let them read the Bible. If they don't read the Bible, Abraham said, and believe it, they're not going to believe a man resurrected from the dead. That means that unbelief is much deeper than lack of evidence. Unbelief runs much deeper. Unbelief is a condition of heart that one chooses because of what one loves. If you love the wages of sin, you're not going to be impressed with the goodness of righteousness. Until you hate the wages of sin, you hate the condition of being lost, and you desire to know God with all your heart, then you're not going to come to Him no matter what the evidence, no matter what the Bible says or what you know of the Bible. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. What does that tell us? That tells us that the rich man knew that what he'd failed to do was repent. The rich man knew that what they needed to do was repent. The rich man knew that if they did repent, they wouldn't end up in hell. Now he's not telling them to repent of their sins. He's telling them to repent in regard to their entire life. Which means repent about who God is. Repent about the importance of God. Repent about their life of Being oriented into sin. Repent in regard to their indifference. Repent in regard to their riches and their wealth. And the way they used it. Repent in every area of life so that they turned from everything that they think, are, feel and do. To the God of salvation, hope and love and peace. It was a choice of heart that runs much deeper than a few acts of sin. If one had to repent of his sins to be saved, lots more people could get saved than do. Because I know a lot of people that quit smoking because they ought to. Quit drinking because it's bad. Quit doing drugs and give up adultery and stop being a queer. Because they find out it's wrong and don't want to do it anymore. They repent of their sins, but it does not get them saved. There's been many a religious person who does not walk in any outward sin who is not saved. Why? They may have repented of their sin, but they never repented toward God. The Bible defines repentance as repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Until your heart repents to God, you will never repent from your sins. You will continue to try to repent from your sins, but you'll never have the strength to do it until you repent toward God. And then the repentance of sins is a lifetime experience. It's something you never get over and never get totally done. If repentance of sin was necessary for salvation, none of us would be saved yet because none of us have altogether repented from all our sins. There are sins of selfishness and lust and indifference and anger and things that all of us have one or the other or multiple of these things. And those things we've not yet totally put out of our lives. The books of the Bible speak of Christians sinning no more. Let him that stole steal no more. Lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds there are all kinds of things that you and I are still purging our flesh and mind and heart of and none of us have yet fully repented of our sins. But I have fully repented toward God. I have fully repented in regard to who God is according according to the nature of sin and and, and repented in regard to my relationship to Him. Those things I have repented fully, completely and totally and I have been placed into the family of God. So this... Rich man knew that. He didn't speak of sins. He said, send Lazarus that they may repent lest they come to this place of torment. So I ask you this morning, have you repented? Are you still rushing down the road with your headlights on, thinking you're having a good time listening to the radio and having your little uh, Coke or whatever it is you drink, not knowing that the bridge is out ahead and damnation awaits? Uh, Abraham says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, this is a true story. It's true because in Acts 2.27, it says of Jesus, quoting Psalms, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer that holy one to see corruption. The book of Ephesians says, When he, Christ, ascended up on high, he led... Captivity, captive. you look up that phrase, that means you're taking those who someone else captured. And you're capturing them from the one who captured them and you're leading them out of captivity. If you were to raid a prison of war camp and haul out the prisoners, you'd be leading captivity captive. You'd be taking captive those who previously were captives. It said he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Now listen, now he that ascended into heaven... What is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Ephesians 4.9 Before Jesus ascended into heaven which occurred on the morning of his resurrection about an hour afterwards when he said to Mary, touch me not I have not yet ascended to my father. He said, I ascend to my father and to my God. Now, an hour or two later He comes back and he says, touch my hands, my side. And he invited being embraced. So he ascended to the Father after his resurrection. Prior to that, it said, prior to that ascension, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he that descended is the same that also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So the Bible sees as significant The descent of Christ prior to his ascent. And the descent, he said, was to capture those who'd previously been captured and lead them out into heaven where he'd be going. It says in Matthew 27, 52, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints' bodies which slept, that was where Lazarus was, and Abraham in that sleep state, slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So there was a resurrection of Old Testament saints right after Christ's resurrection. When he came out of the grave, it's like he fractured the pit of darkness. It's like he fractured the gate of death that kept the souls behind it. And when he fractured it, He had the hands of all previously dead saints and he carried them with him through that wormhole, through that fracture. And he took them immediately into the presence of God with a very short stop in Jerusalem. I'm sure some of them said as Jesus went down into paradise and there the Bible tells us that they anointed his head with oil, that his cup runs over. And so as he sat there feasting with the saints, with Abraham, announcing to them that he died, that he's buried, that he was about to be resurrected. And some of them said, Lord, are you taking us with you? And he said, yes, we're going to leave here. We won't be down in this earth anymore. I have paid the price. The blood's been shed. When I get out of here, I'm going to be taking that blood and placing it before the throne of God. And so you're going with me. So when hell opened its gates... Jesus took them with him, and they said, well, could we stop in Jerusalem? Well, it's been a long time. And so they stopped off and walked around viewing the city. Boy, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? He said, it's time to go. We've been here now. And into heaven they go. That's early in the morning, the resurrection morning. And then he comes back without them there in heaven, getting their orientation program. And he's down on earth now, finishing up his last 40 days with him before he goes back to join them. Now, we keep reading here. And uh, in John twenty seventeen, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, I have not yet ascended. That's the passage there uh, where he speaks of that. So uh, of Luke uh, twenty three forty two, he said, Jesus, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's the man on the cross. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, that man, body, on the cross, Died about the same time Jesus did. And his body was placed in a grave. But Jesus said to him. This day. That means. That day. That means before the sun goes down. That means in the next half hour. Hour however long it was. It wasn't very long. This day. You're going to be with me in paradise. Because a new day started sundown. So that means that in a matter of minutes that man on the cross was going to be with Jesus in a place called paradise. Now, it wasn't heaven because Jesus wasn't in heaven. It was into the earth. And so, when Jesus descended down into paradise, into Abraham's bosom, that thief on the cross followed him right on down. And so, Jesus said, I'd like to introduce you to the latest saint. Here's, uh, let's see, what's your name? And he gets his name. And introduces him. And Abraham welcomes him in. Sets him down. Gives him a fine feast. Jesus sits at the head of the table. And they have a great reunion. Abraham and all the Old Testament saints. And I'm sure he had to go into great detail. Telling them about his entire experience. Do you know that during the life of Christ. There were Christians. Saints. Who died. No doubt. There were people whom Jesus ministered to who heard him preach maybe somebody whom he healed who died from an accident drowned in a boat just because you got your leprosy healed didn't keep you from drowning in a boat and so there's some who died who went into paradise and they said hey guys have you heard the latest Jesus is up there the Messiah has come and so every week they get a new report from some old lady some old man that died they're waiting on this they were excited about this And so when Jesus made his appearance, they were ready. They were ready. And they followed him up, appeared in the city, and then ascended into heaven. You know what? He's promised to come back and get us. He came and got them. He promised to come get us. He said that where I am, there you may be also. Are you ready? Are you really, really ready? Do you love him? Do you worship Him? Do you talk to Him? Does He answer your prayers? Does He bless you? Does, do you sing praises to Him? Not at church, just during the daytime. Does your heart break out in thanksgiving? Do you give thanks to Him? Not in a formal prayer, but just because you're excited. Do you thank Him? Do you thank Him that His blood has covered your sins? If not, then right now you need to thank Him. You need to call upon Him. You need to worship Him. In so doing, you will be born again. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for this revelation to many who have never heard it, never understood it. I pray right now, Father, you will open your arms to those that are believing upon you. Receive them unto yourself and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Michael Pearl teach the word of God. This is a production of No Greater Draw Ministries Incorporated. A 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Upon request, we'll send you a free bi-monthly publication containing our catalog of books, tapes, CDs, DVDs, and videos by Michael Pearl. Write to us at No Greater Joy, 1000 Pearl Road, Pleasantville, Tennessee, 37033 or visit us in order online at norgraderjoy.org.